You are now listening to the Claim It podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who inspire and intrigue me getting into the journey of their lives, not just the most recent shiny thing, but how did they get there? Because there's usually twists and turns along the way. I have these conversations, well, because I love them and I'm curious, but I also hope that by listening that it gives you the chance to give yourself more compassion, to give yourself a chance, another chance to see that, um, you're not stuck where you are. And I don't know, heal things from the past, make those changes, get out of your own way. Today, I have Sophie Sheesh on the podcast. Sophie and I go back a ways, which you will hear. And I've gotten to see her do several different things that are so meaningful and so powerful. And, you know, we do see the line through them all. And I love people like this. I love, you know, the people that do try different things. And then also they're living out, wow, this is amazing. And then see, okay, and I'm ready for something else. We are not, you know, I feel like we're, we, we were told, I don't know about you, but it felt like when I was growing up, like you pick a job, you pick a career and you stick with it until you die. Like maybe you move up in that business or career and change companies. But I love, love, love hearing from people who like me do things and change your mind and allow themselves to follow their passion and their path. All right. So let's get into the episode. If you haven't yet, please subscribe or follow, I think they call the podcast now, and leave a review. All right. Well, first of all, I'm so excited to talk to you, Sophie, because now I can't believe how long we've known each other. And even though years have gone by, so it doesn't feel like that. But I mean, I'm having a flashback right now to like being in Italy, talking to you. Yes. The first interview, you're right. The first conversation we did, you were in Italy. <laughs> Which is funny because I kind of forgot I even went to Italy and was like living in Italy for like three months. <laughs> and this is what's funny. So the, the podcast I just recorded was is with, um, before you, the last one was Rochelle Fredson. And she's someone who helps people like with their book proposals and like launching their books. And she was someone who did I ended up using her as like a last touch before I submitted mine. And I was joking to her like, I, you know, like over 10 years ago, I was telling the world like I'm writing my book. And I was like, I get Facebook memory posts like now all the time that like, I'm on the train writing. I'm out at this club in New York writing. Like, you know, and I, that never turned into anything. That never took anything. And then I posted about that. And one of my friends was like, yeah, I remember you writing this book in Italy. And I was like, Oh, oh my God. Wow. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to go to Italy and write my book. Like did. everything was, <laughs> but the thing is, I don't, yeah, everything happened in perfect timing. It was all good, but it now is just so funny now to like look back, but I was doing, I am so happy. I went to Italy and I used that sort of as like, that's what I'm doing. Oh yeah, sure. Why not go live in Italy? Cause I'm writing my book and I lived an amazing life and it led to other adventures and I did write some things and I was in Italy having a conversation with you for, was it life by me? It was for life by me. And it's funny because one of my best friends became my best friend when she called me to ask for something, a gift for her school, whatever. And I was at um, Ace, you know, the hardware store. 
And I literally, I spent, our conversation led to like the most amazing conversation, but we were on the phone for like two hours. And I have this memory of like just walking around Ace, you know, with all these workers buying paint. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is like the, the deepest spiritualist conversation I've ever had. And now every time I go to Ace, I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's funny how we record things a certain way, you know, they imprint us a certain no, way. No, I do that a lot. Like I will remember like having a conversation, whether it's with somebody on the phone or like in person, like I can go like, oh yeah, I remember I was like, I'll be like, I remember walking, you know, pacing in this one neighbor, this one street while yeah. I was on the phone with somebody like, you know, <laughs> it's interesting. Well, I was wearing these particular clothes or it's, it's funny how the brain records the moment in certain ways. It's beautiful. Well, I loved our conversation then and I'm excited to have this one and it's feel like we never stopped talking in between. Even though it's been like so long actually since we have, which which is so amazing and magical about that, that humans and that we can have those connections sometimes with people right away, which I think we did. Okay. So, so we're going to jump back, even though I just mentioned Life by Me, which is one of the amazing things you've created and how I was first introduced to you. I like starting with getting to know, like, what was life like for you growing up and especially the high school years? Because I think we put so much focus on what are you going to be when you grow up? And it's like this one thing. But most of us end up like having evolving <laughs> lives and choices. But like, that's where it can start of like, what, how do I prove myself? Who am I going to be? Or my parents expect this for me or what? So, so I love hearing about those days. I love that. I was, I was in France. I was, I started gaining all this weight. It's funny because my life is very organized around how my weight was because I went to 350 pounds at some point. And so there definitely is, you know, when did it start and how fat was I there and how not fat was I this other thing? And I mark, some people, you know, mark time with where they lived or what year happened, what, or where their weddings went or whatever. But mine is a little bit around my weight. So I started gaining a lot of weight when I was 10. And that was the beginning of difficult years because being super overweight, I gained the equivalent of 80 pounds when I was 10 and I was, you know, short, I mean, 10. So it was, it was, um, it was a lot. And I, it marked those years very, very deeply, you know, from who I dated or didn't, who I ended up, you know, being friends with or weren't invited to parties or not. And all of that really played, it played a huge part because being fat in France, I have to say, is like being very, 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 very fat in other countries. It's, it's, you know. I was actually going to ask that because obviously the United States is not friendly to people that are not thin. Like there's a lot of fat shaming and fat phobia. But I remember, you know, like, and what I know and from someone who's traveled the world many times that I do feel like in France, like they are like, we don't have overweight people, sort of. We don't. That's maybe how we do more fat shaming even is by pretending, you know, we have no place. And I remember vividly having to go to like a big event, like a wedding in my family, and I had to go find clothes. And there was, that was the one first marker of how isolated one was as a larger body is there were no stores. My, my grandmother had access to this one hidden hole in the wall place where the woman would make big moo-moos, you know, just like die giant dresses, you know, that were absolutely not fashionable or trendy for a young woman, young girl. And it was, it was, um, and as I'm saying that, you know, I'm also seeing that it was also the, what got me awakened. You know, it got me excited. It got me to want to heal this. It got me. So those years were 
in some ways very painful, but they were also very much like, I'm not my body. I want to be loved for who I am. I can be really funny. And do you remember like feeling that as a kid? So much, so much, maybe not at 10, but very quickly when the social scene became relevant, you know, maybe 12, 13, you know, when my girlfriends were very skinny and they, they looked a certain way, but hey, I was going all the way, you know, so I started having sex really young because that was one way that I could, you know, have my place in a, you know, in a crowd. Or like sort of prove yourself, way. like, see, I might not be as yeah. thin as you, but I've got, you know, I've yeah, got guys I interested guy. in me. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I, you know, it became, so that all, all that played out. And then of course, funny enough, now I play pickleball. I've become very, very athletic, actually minded and certainly, and this weekend, two days ago, I played in my very first tournament and it was the most moving, poignant. I know I'm moving ahead in time. It was really relevant because as I was doing, it was literally the first time in my life that I did a tournament of any kind. And so I don't have the usual, oh, now I'm stressed because the ball is in my thing and I'm supposed to do something. And, oh, I'm, you know, letting my friend down and I have to, it was all so stressful. And those years, it came back to me. I really was the fat kid that you don't want on your team. And not only was I not picked from the beginning, but at the end, the very last one, they would be like, no, you take her. No, no, you take her. Like we, we don't want her on our team at all. And, and God, was that painful? And was that, you know, just, it's excruciating. It's, it's like the start of, I don't belong. I don't deserve. I don't have my place in the world, you know? And those were, those were hard years. They really were. And how did your family deal with it? Especially, you know, I think, again, it's a hard thing no matter in what country you live, well, maybe not for everybody, like, but I've definitely experienced, like I was raised in diet culture where my mom, like I constantly felt like, you know, being looked at for my body and like, well, I'm on this diet now. Like my mom would always be on a diet. So there was so much focus on fitness and I'm being obsessed with the supermodels and, you know, like that. So was your family, were they trying to be like, did they just love you as you were and, or, and did they love you and being like, okay, Sophie, what about about less this? Like, were they trying to like fix your weight? Oh, they so tried to fix my weight. And my mom was funny enough, a supermodel in France. She was on the cover of this before us, before the kids, but that was even worse. Like, I I can't imagine how much I'm like, (laughs) oh my God. Like she was in this uh, paper called L'Aurore which was basically on the cover of Laurel every day, they would have like the fashion statement of the whatever, and it was her. <laughs> so, so not only, so definitely there are photos, you know, sometimes you remember the story more by the photos you see later, but that kind of tells the story. So you would have my adorable looking brother, which was very cute, you know, growing up, he was like the little prince, you know, not fat, not smoking, not doing all these stupid things. Maybe I did. And so there's them, there's the three of them. And then there's this me on the very right or the very left or the whatever. And I'm completely on my own, you know, to almost make it look like we, I was not part of the family. So no, there was no help. There was, if anything, my grandmother was very, very large. Uh, There's this horrible moment where after she passed and we went to the funeral, she was so big, the hole to put the coffin was actually too small. And, and so all of us, I like the, the talk about the, like the ultimate shaming moment, you know, where the box just did not like, as she was departing for her last journey. And, and so she was very large her all of her, my life and all of her life. And I, 
was sent to the same fat farm, you know, she was sent for the summer or she sent herself for the summer. And, and I was a child. I mean, I was 12 or 13 and my friends were going to the Riviera, you know, with their little bathing suits. And I was sent to, you know, grandmother playing rummy, you know, trying to lose two pounds in the summer. And I, they put me through the whole thing. I mean, I did um, amphetamines and I did, you know, which was so incredibly, we did, we found this one doctor, my mom, took me to a friend of hers had done it. She lost, I don't know, 60 pounds under that thing. And so we went and the guy basically gave you this thing and you can only go to this one pharmacy, which should have been a clue. And then the people would give you these pills that had no name. There was just a potion, you know, that they made and all that. And then weeks after I started my treatment and I did lost a lot, I, I lost a lot of weight, but this young woman died. And so there was this giant thing in the paper, you know, about this doctor that just had done such terrible. And I was thankfully, you know, my kidneys didn't shut down, um, you know, fast and I, I survived, but yes, definitely no support. Definitely everyone on diets, definitely they eat dessert and I have my green beans, you know, to munch on and all of that. It was, it was very, it was painful. It was a difficult, that piece of the, the journey was difficult. So when you get older and are like at ages of like, okay, like moving out and yeah, like the high school years, did you have an idea of like what you wanted to do? Or was there like any from your family of like, this is what you should be doing? Or were you like, let me get out of here? Or... <laughs> You know, there really wasn't, as I was a girl in a kind of um, Jewish, Sephardic, you know, girls are not really meant to do much, like they'll marry and they'll be fine. And my brother was pushed to go to a lot of, you know, much higher level schooling that probably he would have wanted to. Um, so th there was that, I felt left alone to the, like that piece, you know, the, su the success in school. Of course, I was the failure Otherwise, you know, physically, and I smoked a lot. And uh, I knew the one thing I did know that I think served me really well is I, I felt smart. Like I never questioned, even if I was a complete disaster in some of the schools because I didn't like the people or I didn't really care to perform or I didn't want to, I thought it was stupid to learn everything by heart, you know, which had a lot of those years of like multiple choices, you know, and all that stuff. I was really good at essays and I aced my philosophy classes because I was super interested, but um, I never felt stupid. I never felt like, if anything, I felt like my body was a bit of a vehicle for my head. You know, like my head was the special thing that would get me through life. So I was very funny and I was very um, read, you know, well-read. I read a lot. Um, so I don't know that I had a sense of, my father had a business. There was definitely some push to take over the business with my brother, you know, and he would do this part and I would do that part. And then, I, you know, I discovered America when I was uh, 16 and it was, I wanted to get the heck out as fast as I could. Um, so I refused. My father basically was like, okay, this is the plan. You, we're going to buy this kind of store and you're going to be in charge of this and your brother will do the wholesale part of the whatever. And and I was like, no, I'm not. And he was like, what do you mean you're not? And I was like, that's not my life. That's the life you, and that I had, I had this grit, you know, like I had this ability to be kind of like, no, like I, I was very. Like trust yourself. It sounded yes. like. For someone that was so heavy where the society makes you feel like shit about yourself all day long. I was bizarrely wired for like, no, like I'm not doing this. You're not t telling me what to do or be. 
I was very rebellious. I was very, I was solid. I mean, I was self-destructive in many ways, but I, but I knew, I knew my, my value, maybe not my value actually, but I, I knew I could resist. Like I had resistance in me, you know, a revolution maybe inside of me. So what, um, so did you end up moving to America? Yeah. So I, well, I mean, like, obviously you did cause you are, but at, like in that back then, <laughs> I don't I know when so you went. 16. I was 16. I went to visit my brother who was at Stanford and this whole thing where his friends were drunk and they had to bring this car to LA and they asked me if I, I could drive. I did not have a license, but I said yes. And they were drinking too much. So they all fell asleep in this giant Cadillac and I'm driving down the coast and my hair in the wind and Christopher Cross, right? Like the wind is on the radio. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is it. You know, this is what I want. This is life. I'm going to come back as fast as I can. And went back to France. And, you know, at the time there was no global economy. There was no, like I bought a pair of Nike shoes and a t-shirt from UCLA, which we called UCLA in (laughs) France. Like (laughs) there was no, and I bought these things. And I remember having this box of shoes and it was at the bottom of my closet for a while. And I made that commitment that I would only wear these shoes when I was ready to move to America. And I did, you know, I, I, this one January 1st, 1993. So a few years, quite a few years later, I put my shoes on and I literally remember putting these laces on, like I did it, you know, like, this is it, I'm going. And I did. And it was, um, it was an, I mean, it's, it's been an incredible, it still is an incredible journey to be from somewhere else, you know, like to be from another country and another language and, culturally obviously very different but i but it was my choice you know it was my that's what i wanted that's why i wanted to be that's what i kind of joked that it was an accident that i was born in france i always felt very american and it was a matter of time so i did all these jobs you know where i could learn the language all these years between 16 between that trip to stanford and 24 when i actually moved i was a guide for american tourists you know and i was like i did all these things to like get to know people and and learn the language better and whew, the, the sooner i could i just like wrapped it all up and, and left and where did you where did you go and um did you I have, went to la you went, I went to, to LA, la and first. did you know anybody like was your brother back in france at that point or my brother was back actually he had moved to hong kong by then um for some job that took him there so i moved to la i did know a few friends i had done a workshop uh, that was called insight uh, which I did in France, but I became friends with people. It's kind of like landmark, you know, forum, like that kind of get to know yourself type of thing. And then, so I knew I had a place to stay for two weeks. My friend said I could stay with her because it was not convenient for them, really, like the husband, whatever, they had an office and that became my room and it just wasn't convenient. But she said yes for two weeks. So I was basically like, I have two weeks to get my butt in gear and find something, you know, to stay here. And I did. I did. And what, um, yeah, so what happened in, um, I mean, so yeah, when I met you, you had already probably your, yeah, your daughter was, was pretty not like, yeah, she wasn't a teenager yet. I don't think, but yeah. No, she was, she was born though. She was a young, a young, whatever now they are young adult around 10, I think. Did you end up like, yeah. Like what did you end up doing in LA? Were you just like doing odd jobs or like, what were your, like. Well, the, the only job I could do originally, cause I didn't have, you know, documentation oh, right, to get right. a job. Right. And although it was certainly better then than it is now, 
but uh, I, I got a job at the Belgium uh, consulate, believe it or not. And my job was to make sure people had passports and whatever to go to Belgium, which anyone who knows me would be like, did your brain just explode? And it did actually. I literally had a meningitis while I was there. Uh, but that's besides the point. I did um, very quickly on the journey being here. I met this guy at a party whose father, you're never going to believe that, his father had paid someone to kill the second wife, which was not the mother of my friend, like the second wife, because she was going to tell the world that he wasn't a true CPA or whatever. Like he, she was going to ruin his life. So she paid someone to kill the guy. And when I met the guy I met, the son of this guy, he basically had been declared like he was going to go to jail for his whole life, the father. And the son was like, I don't even know what to do with my father's house. Like I'm you know, so do you mind living in my father's house? <laughs> I'll give you like a thousand bucks to like take care of the, the cat and the plants. And then do you mind living there for at least a year? Cause I'm traveling and I cannot be, it was like, do I mind? So like <laughs> banana story, but he basically like, yeah, there was an animal and like stuff. So like, can yes. you house sit and cat sit? Because I, yes. yeah, like, I don't know what to do. And they were very wealthy. Obviously the guy had been very successful. That's why he didn't want to lose everything. So I ended up at this house in Encino with the car that I'm supposed to drive once in a while because they don't want the car to die, whatever. Like this thing was just like, Hey, sign from the universe, stay here. Like we figured it out for you. We figured it out. It's me, Trisha, bringing you a brief interruption. If you've been with me for a long time, then you know how much I love using an infrared sauna blanket. It looks like a sleeping bag. You get inside. I go in mine for at least 45 minutes in long pants, long sleeve shirt, socks, put on a good show, keep lots of water nearby, and I sweat. And it feels so good. I use this when I'm not feeling well, whether it's my body feels like stiff or achy, whether it's from, you know, being not moving as much or being in a car for a long time or my fibromyalgia is acting up. When I start to feel like cold symptoms, uh, when I'm having like stomach issues, it always helps me so much. Uh, it also just helps like boost your energy. It can also help you sleep better. It is amazing. I have been using infrared sauna blankets since 2013 when our guest today, Sophie Sheesh, opened Shape House. That is where I was introduced to the powers of the infrared sauna blanket and ended up buying my own. You can go and buy your own too if you go to BIT dot ly backslash joy sauna. The link is in show notes. You can also use code joy 75 to get, I think it's 20% off. You get almost $100 off. They also have an interest-free payment plan that you can get it because I know if you like me, then you might big purchases feel like, oh no, I can't. That makes it easier. Trust me, I have owned mine now for, I want to say four years. I still use it a few times a week and it is amazing. So please go check it out, bit.ly backslash joy sauna and you can go code joy 75. Also feel free to DM me at underscore Trisha Huffman to ask me any questions about it. Like I said, 
I love mine. I've used mine for years and um, I love turning people onto it. I've gotten so many messages from people that have ordered them over the years for me telling them and are like, thank you so much. This has helped me like nothing else. Same. All right. Let's get back to the episode. So yeah, like what happens with like, yeah, did you end up moving to different positions or work or how did you end up? Yeah, fine. You know, you know, I, I guess I was very entrepreneurial from the start. Like there's a story when I'm six where someone bought me four pencils and I sold them for eight and then I did 16 oh and there That's I was with like, a little, like a little industrial like sales of wholesale pencils on the schoolyard thing. Um, so I always was very like discover what doesn't exist and, and invent it a little bit. Um, that's certainly what I did. Life by me was an interviews of people, as, as you know, I interviewed you so joyfully. You were one of my, you were literally one of my favorite interview, like together we discovered things as you were talking and it was just, I, I don't know if you remember it as such, but it was just very, um, very enlightening and very innovative the way you were going after your life, you know, following your, like that, going to Italy to write your book, like it's nothing, you know? <laughs> Um, so Life by Me was 900 interviews of people way before interviews were anything or podcasts or any of those things. And I interviewed incredible people. And I, that's what I did all day at the at some point in but the But what career. gave you the idea to like start that? And like, and you know, like what was your whole like Life by Me? We can kind of guess what that means and the fact that you're interviewing people. But like, yeah, like where did that idea come from and your passion to wanting to talk to people? I I had written a book with my, at the time, husband that was called The Power of Personal Accountability. And it was all about, you know, your life is your own and build your all, you know, your accountability meant your ability to be counted on. And it had this whole like beautiful, like your life is your own, you know, life by me, your life is for you to do something with. And I was invited because of that book, I was invited to speak at a conference in Cali, Colombia, and the translator, so Desmond Tutu was there. Nelson Mandela was going to be there. Uribe, the president, was there. This guy that had been, Tokyo Sequale, who had been in jail with Nelson Mandela for 15 years of the 28, he was in jail. So all these guys came to speak to this conference because South Africa was one of the successful-ish, more successful than others, where countries of war became countries of peace. And so they came to speak to the Colombian. It was huge. Like every ambassador was there and the president was there. And I was in the business section of the, you know, the schedule, which was less, in some ways, less important. But I was there, you know, and they lost the, you're never going to believe that either. They lost the translator that was going to translate Desmond Tutu and Nelson Mandela. He didn't come. Nelson Mandela didn't come because some personal, whatever, but he came on camera and he, they, they had this giant thing where he was going to speak to the Colombians, you know, and talk about peace and, and do what he does. And the translator got drunk the night before the event of the next day. And someone was walking around like, we need someone who speaks French and Spanish and English. And I was like, well, that'd be me because I was raised a good part of my life in Spain. And so I speak really good Spanish. And so Oh my God, they walked me through this whole thing and signed these papers because there was going to be like all these secret, you know, meetings and conversations. And that's where the idea was born. I was with Desmond Tutu in an elevator. We were going to this meeting that was like peace in the world kind of conversation. And the whole time I'm like, why am I here? What did I do that I get to do this? You know, that was just such a moment of like, 
whoa, like fate, you know, just moving me around. And in the elevator, he said something to me, which I've never repeated out loud anywhere. Like it's a thing that's in my heart very deeply from him. But I did spend a moment going like, why am I alone in this moment? Like I want to share these incredible, meaningful moments of my life. And maybe I'm lucky that I get to be in these crazy moments of super coolness, you know, that makes humanity move forward in so many ways. And I want to share that. And so literally the, the the website became share meaning and I invited people to, and if you may remember the first question I asked was what makes your life meaningful? And it was really about making people be comfortable with having deep, you know, conversations and not I would do parties at the time that literally had a sign at the door that said, you know, small talk, stay outside, like no small talk in the house. You know, that was a big thing for me to how do we teach people to not waste all this time, you know, chatting about the weather and, and go deep to who are you and why are you doing like what we're having right now? You know, this is a very deep conversation and it's it's exciting to share that. So that's where it started. The idea was like, I want a platform where people can hear from each other's lives because we won't be in each other's lives. And so- Which was way before it's time. Because now, yeah, with podcasts and just whatever, Instagram lives, there's, there's, yeah, YouTube, there's so many ways that now people are having these deeper conversations and like having like that. But yeah, that was like way before it's time. And and, so then jumping back, you just happened to write the book too. Like, what do you think, like- what was leading you? Because also you mentioned you'd done some sort of workshop in France. And then that wasn't once you moved to the United States that you still were sort of like on this. Was that something that was always like interesting to you? This sort of like, yeah, alignment or integrity of like to make advantage of take advantage of your life or like what were you drawn to that then made you write that book and be in that room? You know, I, I, you're right. I think it was, I, I, I don't know if it's DNA. I don't know if it's resistance to a family that was focused on the watch and the shoes and the car. You know, that was a big thing in my family. Um, maybe I came with it as destiny to do something meaning. I don't know. I don't know exactly where it is, but I was definitely curious as a kid. Like I'd be the one that'd be sitting there going like, you know, where's the wind coming from and what are we meant to be? And I was like five years old, you know? And so there was definitely always a quest for meaning and self-awareness. I think self-awareness was also, I felt very loved by my family, but they were incredibly problematic. Like they were really not good parents. I'm, I'm, it, they weren't. And it wasn't a lack of wanting to be good parents. They, I'm sure they didn't wake up in the morning like, oh, let's destroy this child, you know. But lack of awareness was a big thing. And so I think I woke I woke up early on to the idea of like, if I'm ever going to have children, I'm going to clean up my house. Like I'm going to be as aware as a parent, as a as a human as I can, because I could see that if you don't resolve your own internal wars, you know, you really hurt other people. And so there was a, there was a strong commitment to break that chain, to just break the chain of like, I get that you have a reason. And my, both my parents were in wars in Europe, you know, and I get it, but it's still, you know, it's still painful to be raised by people that haven't resolved their complexities and their angers and their unresolved, whatever inside of them. Right. And so Yes, I was always, and then when you start in the journey of getting to know yourself, 
it's cool. It's like a cool thing to get to know what I'm afraid of and what I'm wanting to contribute and who am I and what turns me on or off. Or, you know, I, I just think a journey of, there's a, a French quote that translates something like, if you don't examine your life, it's not worth living. You know, it's, it, 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 it really, the juice of life comes from getting to know who you are. Because if you don't, you overeat, you overdrink, you watch too much porn, you gamble too much. You do all these things because you want to numb it out. You know, you want to numb yourself, I think, from feeling your feelings. And so, yeah, that was a big quest for me to get to know who this human was, you know, to, to this, who this person is. Love that. And yeah, I mean, I, especially in, as a parent now, it's like, being a parent is so challenging, no matter what, you know, like as mindful as you are and as much as you think of like, okay, I'm going to like do this, that it's challenging. These beings are then like, they're their own beings <laughs> and, and you they also, or we're living our own lives. It's like, you know, like as much as you want, but yeah, like that it is a lot of just like, yeah, like healing your own stuff continually. Cause I think too, a lot more has come up for me since becoming a mother, like things that I thought were healed or didn't trauma, I didn't realize I had like has surfaced since becoming a parent. And then like, yeah, but I am willing to face it and like look through it and, you know, and okay. 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 And that, I think a lot of, yeah, it's, it can create a lot of more. But damage. it's also a beautiful gift, you know, cause I remember, you know, growing my, my kids, you know, and and being present as they were evolving, I visited things of that age that I didn't, that I packed away as like, well, that's what happened to me as a teenager. Well, then my kid's a teenager. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> like, is there something to unpack? Like, it was very profound. And if I think I would have not liked myself, I think that was, that became a, a, a big part of my identity was I look at my stuff. Like I go to, I go to task, I go to work, I go to read a book and do a workshop. And I, you know, I, I, I learn what I'm made of because I remember there was one moment where my, my girl was, um, she was banging on pots. She was three I don't know, young. And that day I was at a great day and I was in a great mindset and she's banging and I sit with her and I'm banging with her and we're having time of our lives and we're making music, you know, just banging these pots and it's super fun. And the next day I have a shitty day and I, I'm not in a good mindset and I'm not in, in, you know, my heart or I'm just annoyed, upset, whatever. And she starts banging the pots again. She grabs all the pots and she's like, you know, yesterday that was fun, mom. But today it's really not fun. And I, and I saw, that was one of the like, whoa, because I saw that what yesterday was so fun for me today was so upsetting. And I didn't, I could not be around that sound. Like, and Stop! I just, Probably like that's what I'm imagining. Like. <laughs> I mean, I didn't because that's what I caught. I caught that I was like, oh my God, how crazy making would it be for a child to one day be doing one thing and it's super fun. And, and your mom's, yeah, all your into mom's it. celebrating you doing it with and you. And like the coolest thing of like self-expression. And the next day I literally wanted to drown her, you know, and that's like, that is not on them. That is, that cannot be on them, you know? And so that became a major light at the end of the tunnel for me of like, you know what, get to resolve your own stuff. Because if you don't, you will find yourself doing things that make absolute no sense. <laughs> 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just for any parents that's listening out there and is like, oh, that's hard. like, that's like amazing that you caught yourself. But also, you know, I find myself, yes, yeah, sometimes I do like have explosion moments. And then though, instead of being in the shame or I'm a terrible mom or just ignoring it or trying to push past it, you know, like then it will like be like, oh, you know what? You know, well, especially because mine is when they're not like listening to me or something. It's like, hey, you know, I'm sorry, mommy yelled at you. Like, you know, like being able to, instead of just being like, oh, I wish I hadn't acted like that or I can't believe I did that or whatever. And then just like piling that shame and then anger and like all of these feelings on top of it, then it is like, I do go ahead and face like, it wasn't right that I yelled at you. I'm sorry that I yelled at you. You know, like I did yell at you because you weren't listening and you know, that was this or just like trying to at least explain to my kids and like sitting with them on their level even if again, even if it's they were doing something that really like, you're not supposed to do that. Or if it's like something and I was just triggered because I had a shitty day or whatever, but it's just like trying to like actually like sit with them because yeah, they're traumatized from me screaming at them. Even if it was just because I've said the same thing like five times and you didn't listen. Like, they're like, Hey, I know that it, it was, I don't like yelling and I'm sorry that I yelled. Like, here's what was going on for me. Like, <laughs> because what you're doing when you do that is you're helping them close a loop oh, okay, mom was upset. You know, maybe even if they don't understand what that really means, it doesn't stay open as like, I must be a terrible child that this happened. Or, you know, what could I have possibly done that mom doesn't look like she loves me right now? I mean, those are really difficult thoughts to be having. And we look back on them as adults and we're like, ah, that probably wasn't a big deal. But when you're five and this big person is responsible for your survival, it's a big deal, you know, that you did something that made mommy look like she really like, slammed the door and walked away. Like I did something so horrible. I must be horrible. And kids pack up these stories about themselves. I mean, I know because I did, you know, like a lot of what happened when I was a kid, I really should not have taken responsibility, but I think, I don't know that I knew how to do it better because it looked like it was directed at me. And it took, it took a lot of wisdom learned later to say, you know what, that really wasn't about me. And they really were not happy together or, you know, my dad was really stressed and he didn't know what to do with that stress. And so he behaved that way. You know, like you don't do that when you're five. You can't translate that stuff, you know? Yeah. I mean, and that's so, what we're kids like. Yeah. We think that our parents and all adults are like the know all be all, like, you know. <laughs> so therefore, something must be wrong with me as yeah. a child. And it's, it's a quite a, it's quite a thing to unpack it later and to be able to say, oh, that piece really wasn't mine. And oh, that piece, you know, yes, I became very generous from this. That's cool. Or I became very self-aware from this. And so it's it's a fine line to like do the work, but not to end up in resentment or anger or blame. That's not interesting, you know, but to be able to do the work so that you turn around and you be like, okay, yeah, I understand why they did what they did. I still didn't like it. And there's still a kind of worms inside of me that needs to be visited. But I really, I've really come to the side of, and it didn't start there. I'm sure there were years of anger and resentment and God knows putting 6,000 miles between <laughs> them and I, but um, yeah, it's, I, I love that journey that was ignited. And I love that now I'm doing it out of the same way one does a sport. I want to get better. I want to be a better human. I want to be a better daughter. I want to be a better wife, whatever it is. Right. Love that. Okay, let's go. So, did you do? So, the next thing that I know you from, did you? Was there some? Was there something in between Life by Me and starting Shape no. House? 
No, that's, uh, I still had life by me when I started Shape House, actually, because Shape House started out of, oh, wouldn't that be cool for me to get, you know, this. So Shape House is um, a concept of a spa that didn't exist then. That, again, was 10 years ago. And now everyone is infrared, you know, sauna and heat and all that. But that certainly wasn't the case then. And and I did. I went to a lot of dinners and meetings, and I would tell what I wanted to do. And people were looking at me like I was a... I don't know, a giraffe, <laughs> like you want to what? Lay people down and have them sweat. And what is that? So yeah, I mean, it was uh, Life by Me still existed. It, it started to find a footing to get some monetizing, you know, possibility. And and actually the last piece I wrote for it was um, that I was no longer, it wasn't current for me anymore, No, mean, not meaningful for me anymore. And this Shape House was wanting to, be born and I followed what it wanted to be a little bit. And like, Shape House, you know. like I remember you telling me how you discovered, but it was kind of like an accident, right? Well, I mean, like not you creating it, but like you discovering the like infrared sauna blanket. Well, that's what I. Yeah, I went to a, yeah. So I was going to this wedding in France and it was a big hoopla. Like I needed seven dresses, you know, and, and I'd gained some weight or hadn't lost it or whatever the, the phase I was in, but I needed to get into clothes, um, and be thinner for it. And so I bought all these coupons. You probably remember like the Groupons and, the you know, living social, whatever they were called, you know, and I bought everything there was to buy. And one of them was for this tan salon that happened to have this like triangular, super uncomfortable box that you would lay down and you would sweat. And, and I went and I, I did it and I hated the experience. It was like dirty and it was just like a horrible, horrible experience. And I felt better than I'd ever felt. Like my skin felt wonderful. I had dropped inches. I could feel it right away. My skin was glorious, you know, and there was just this sense of like, what the heck did I just do? And then I got together with friends of mine and a doctor, and we just started talking about how to do the experience better, which is where the blankets were born and having a TV to watch something fun while you're sweating, as opposed to look at the ceiling for an hour and want to shoot yourself in the head because of the heat and the misery. And so, and then I got one made for me. And then I said, oh, it'll be fun to do it with a friend. And so I had another one made and and then there were two. And then it was like, oh, can I bring my friend, whatever, Julie at the time. It was like, great. So a third bed. And the next thing you know is my office, which was life by me. And I was also a therapist because I'm a psychologist by trade. And all of those offices, I turned into this little house on Larchmont, which was the first one. Oh, I didn't um, realize that Larchmont space was already, maybe I didn't know this and I just forgot. It was my space for five years or six years. So it was before. your space that you used for an office and that you, you did like um, therapy. or Yeah, I was a therapist. therapist. I was doing PR. I was doing all sorts of, you know, again, smart girl doing a bunch of things. And so I had a couple of people working with me and we did all sorts of cool things, including Life by Me and a couple other things. And then we took one of the rooms and installed the one, the two, the three beds. And then it was like, oh, we maybe we can put another one. Oh, maybe there's, and people came, you know, people, I don't think you started at the very beginning, but you were pretty. No, I soon. feel like I, I feel like I, cause did you see, come when we did 2013, the task? Like, January of, I, I moved after that being, would have been very after soon. being would, on tour for a long time, I had moved back January of 2013. And I feel like it was 
before you opened or you just opened? Like you were like, hey, you're moving back to LA. I opened this this spa. Come. And I was like, a spa? And, and you're, I was like, of course, like I'm going to like, if anybody offers, like I'm the type of person, if somebody offers something to me for free to you come go. try it out, like, or to send yeah. me, I'm like, yes. And then I was like, and you were like, well, it's like kind of different this. And I was just like, okay, that sounds interesting and amazing. And like, and yeah, so I was there pretty early. Well, d- January, 2013 would have been two or three months in. And the first two months was literally my friend Julie and her friends, and there was like six people a week. And it was it was very magical because someone in January came that worked with the Kardashians, of all people, and I guess went to dinner with them a few days after sweating. And they were like, what are you doing? Your skin looks amazing. And you're this and you're that. And it was very innovative. And they came to do an episode. And that was the beginning of it all, you know, like we, the episode aired and there were 60 people at 7am. I came to open the house when again, we had had, you know, three a week or a month or whatever, very, very small numbers. And there were 60 people outside. And I said, what are you people doing here? And they were like, we saw you on the episode and we want to try. And I was like, okay, I guess we have a business. Like, and I followed the trail. I would say that if there is a trend to my career, there really was a follow what feels true to me and follow, not listen to advice. You know, like I, I was never ignoring of people's advice, especially in the financial world and the investor world and all of that. But there always was this very strong compass of, I hear that you don't see the vision, but I do. So thank you for your love. And I'm going to move on and continue my vision. And I think a lot of people quit on their vision because they let other people have a stronger voice than their own. And I, part of my life now is very devoted to helping people see that they have their own life and that they have their own voice. And that it really, if you believe in it, you know, I know it's very cliche to say it like that, but there really is something to, we all have some role to play in this crazy world and we have to take our place. You know, we have to have the courage to write this book or do this talk or, you know, so. That yeah, was, a thousand percent. And so many out. things that you've been saying throughout the episode, I'm like nodding my head and I'm like, because it, there are things that I talk about in my book, F the shoulds, do the once, get clear on who you are, what you want and why you want it. And it's not just like a big want, like a big dream. It's in a moment to moment, like paying attention to what we're thinking, what we're feeling and why. And there is a part of like, so often I feel like we don't even give ourselves a like seat at the table. Like, you know, it's like, oh, let me take a little advice and this. And it's like, I just need to listen to everybody else because they know better or know more. These are the top ways to do this. This is the way you do this. This is the way to do this, which there is a lot of good information out there. But a lot of times, like I think some, you know, obviously some of the most successful people out there are people that did things because they felt like some of the music that's out there, you know, like a lot of the most popular, most successful stuff, people, whatever, is from people that didn't listen when everybody was like, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. Well, because when you think of it, people are going to speak from the level, like I've always looked at it from that place. Like someone would tell me not to do something. I would look at their life and I would be like, well, did you take the risk? Did you write that book? Did you? Because some people did. Like I remember one dinner with this guy was very, very successful. And the advice he gave me was very good. But I turned around and, you know, seeing who he was, the guy had taken the risk and he had moved the needle and he had made really bold choices. And so that's more interesting, you know, than someone who's like, 
don't shake the boat and don't, you know, I'm like, well, why? Like you didn't do it and you, you know, you don't like your life so much. So sometimes it's about building and you certainly became that for me. Like I would often have conversations with you that were very much inspiring of you are following your dream. You're interesting to me as opposed to, you know, someone who's stuck and not doing their life and they speak to you in a way that almost makes you want to stay with them. It's like, they don't want to be alone in there not taking risks, you know? And so they're pulling you in this, like, but have you thought of the whole deal, horrible things that could happen to you? And I'm like, yes, but I'm also thinking all these beautiful things that can happen. And I've always had, like I was mentioning earlier, like, I feel like this weight issue that I've had all along and it gave me more strength. It gave me more grit, you know, to be able to say, okay, yes, society, you don't want me as a fat person, but Hey, I'm here, you know? And deal with that. And somehow it gave me the, the, the force, you know, to, to, to take that on later in life when people would not see the vision and I'd be able to sit there and be like, well, when I opened my 12th store, which I did, I opened 12 spots. Oh my gosh, there ended up being 12. They ended up houses? being 12. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I, I remember one guy that I had met for a business possibility when I had one store and he had all been like, well, this thing is not a proven concept and blah, blah. And I was like, okay. And then he came back 12 stores later and I was like, how about that for a proven concept? Like, is that one now? And he wanted to get in, you know, as an investor. And I was like, no, because you're, you know, you didn't see it when it wasn't there. And that says a lot about you. Trisha here bringing you another brief interruption right now. F the shoulds, do the once.com. If you haven't yet, go pre-order my book. Trust me. I've poured so much of my heart in here, my personal stories, and realistic, easy-to-use tools that will help you to be way more mindful of what you're thinking and feeling and to be able to shift and see what it is you really do want and how to heal yourself, give yourself more love and compassion, and stop being honestly such an asshole to yourself Stop shooting on yourself. Catch yourself in the shoulds. Go to ftheshouldsdothewants.com. And if you already have ordered the book, make sure to go there to claim your bonuses. I've got three awesome bonuses. One is you get immediate access to a five-part video series where I talk about five of the major ways that shoulds can mess with us and how to get out of those, how to support yourself. You're going to get a free ticket to the live book release party slash workshop where Robin Euclid will lead a guided, guided grounded um, meditation. I'm going to lead an unshowed yourself workshop and Jason Raz will have a little bit of talk with him and also a few songs. You are also going to get an exclusive EFT tapping meditation from New York Times bestselling author, Jessica Ortner go. What are you waiting for? I truly appreciate every single pre-order. Pre-orders are such a big deal for authors, but especially for first-time authors. I'm seriously so grateful for each and every one of you. I had remembered your story and how you discovered like the infrared sauna and that it had to do with like, yeah, you kind of wanted like to lose weight really fast. Um, to get to something. And then, so I didn't even realize like, yeah, how much of your like 
life or started with like, you know, having this weight journey. But then the infrared sauna blanket, you discovered it because you were trying to lose weight. But the healing properties, which I'm guessing like, you know, you said too, it's like, oh, sure, you did drew like, you know, maybe lost some weight, but how you felt afterwards. And like, that's for me, like, I forgot, I actually used, I, you know, I bought an infrared sauna blanket. And once I moved away from Shape House and, uh, and now like I used it today, like it for me, I have fibromyalgia, which you know, and have battled and like, yeah, when you first opened, I was going like once a week or several times a week, like it helped me so much. And it still does that. Like, I don't know, you know, I honestly don't know what my life would look like without it because it really does help me in so many different ways. Even today, like today I used it because I've had some weird like stomach. I can just tell like something's off. I don't know if I accidentally ate gluten or something because that affects my fibromyalgia. Like, but I'm like, something is off. And I was like, uh, and yesterday I was like, I know you just need to sweat. But I like then was like, nope, you need to get work done. So I kept pushing it off. And then so, so this morning I was like, as soon as I dropped my kids off, I was like, I need to sweat. I know I need to sweat. And I did like right away. And it changed so much about how I feel. And that's what too, like it, it was. And back then it wasn't, I mean, there were barely even the infrared sauna booths. There were, but like, yeah. I remember the first few months, years, maybe one year or two, I would be fascinated because I don't have fibromyalgia and I don't have, you know, skin psoriasis or, and so I, I didn't know, I'm not a doctor. And so I didn't study it from the place of like, well, what else does it do? Like I knew it helped my sleep. I knew it helped my skin. And then my friends would come. But I remember actually when you discovered how much it helped you, and I remember now adding it to, I don't, I can't say it for sure, but it sounds like it really helps. And we even had someone, I'll never forget. It's one of my favorite story of, you know, 12 stores, hundreds, thousands of people every day. But this woman had lupus and she would come in with like the, that kind of lupus where her hand were all, you know, twisted around. And she really was, there was lots of things she couldn't do because her hands were so, her arms were so, um, misshaped. I don't know how to speak to it exactly, but like very much like they couldn't, she couldn't drive, you know, all these things. And so she would come and sweat. And one day she had, I remember she had five children and one day she comes and I'm at the door, you know, she's about to leave and she hugs me and she's like, Oh my God, what you do for me. And I was like, I, I don't, are you okay? Like she was kind of hugging me a little longer, you know, than one would maybe. And I could feel she was very moved by it. And she, her hands were completely back to, you know, the one, the way mine look, you know, and she walked away and she said, do you realize that because of you tonight, I'll be able to hug my children? Like she couldn't hold her children because her arms were so, you know, difficult. And I, I remember thinking, like, I can work my whole life for this, you know, that she was able to get um, that part of such an uncomfortable part of her life, you know, under, under control and that she could, um, she could be healthier and, and and enjoy life so much more. So, well, so and also, uh, you didn't just create like a place to come and sweat. Like it was an experience of like really being cared for, like and taken care of too. And I also like I remember going to Shape House and like it taught me. Um, besides how I felt, it actually taught me to not. Uh, why am I losing the word that I want to say? Basically, to do one thing at a time. Oh, multitask. To, un, not- to, to like single to task. Monotask. Yes. Because 
of the simple fact of, you know, you would be in like your little dark curtain off room, you're laying sort of like on a massage table thing with the sauna blanket. Like they really did like care for you. They had water there. Like people would come, there'd be like a button to press to get more water. And you did have your own headphones in the TV to choose what you want or listen to music or whatever and stuff like that. But to actually just watch a show in <laughs> my phone, because again, I'm gonna be all sweaty and it just like, I never had like my phone on me. And like to just be in that space of doing one thing. And it might be just like, yeah, you're just watching a trending show or something. But it was like the most like relaxing because I realized I, you know, I don't. And so I started to take that more out of my life because I'm a good multitasker, to be honest. Like I'm a busy brain person. I'm able, I'm skilled in that, like able to balance a lot. But it was that just focusing only on a show for joy and relaxation while I was trying to get through sweating (laughs) done, like really helped me outside of that in other life to be like, no, 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 just focus on one thing at a time. So that was an interesting thing that actually Shape House gifted me as well. Yeah, there was definitely, I remember calling it a really good hour, you know, when in one hour you got to relax, you could be with a friend and have like a social moment. You could watch a show and catch up or watch something that your life and house doesn't like. Like I remember this one woman telling me, I come because this is the one time I can hold the remote control. Like I guess she had, the kids were taking over with cartoons and whatever, and she just could see whatever she wanted. And it was definitely, it was good for your skin. It was good for your sleep. It was good for your morale. Like a lot of people came when they were feeling down because toxins in the body really has this effect of, you know, causing a little sadness or depression. And people now know that, you know, but a lot of people didn't know that then. And also you rest your hormones while you sweat. And so instead of being starving or being exhausted or your kidneys unable to do whatever they do during the day, you'd be able to rest all that. So it was just, you know, it was one of those where I almost, I was there for a miracle to to be given to me, to be able to serve people. And yes, I did the work, but there was also like a certain, uh, maybe when someone writes a song, I know it's a world you know well, but it's like, you don't sit there and it's like something comes to you. Like, yes, you've done the work and you've done the technique and you know how to play your guitar maybe or your whatever, but there is a moment where something downloads that is a gift that I believe to be on the spiritual side of things, you know, just somehow you did the work and you were there at the right moment and you have integrity and you care for people. I remember when I was a coach and this guy came to me and he was like, what do you, how do you make it so people like feel like you care about them? And I remember saying, I actually care about them. <laughs> That's what I my immediate reaction as someone who cares a lot about it is, everybody. Exactly. It's not something you can, I mean, yes, you can learn to care more, but it's not a trick I can show you. I really deeply care about Let people. me turn off my care switch real quick. <laughs> yes, exactly. Let me show you where the button is. Um, so yeah, it was like a really funny thing for me to, and maybe that is, I mean, looking back, I'm in my 50s now, so I can. I have a little bit more, you know, ability to look back. And there really was something to, I did the work to quiet my fears and my anxieties and my wanting to be liked and whatever, you know, the stuff that might've been um, engines before. And once one does that, I believe that you become more intuitive and you become more inspired and you become more courageous like fear, you know, fear has a place. Like I'm not going to jump off the roof and say, you know, look, I can fly. I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying fear doesn't have a place, but it certainly does not have, 
at least it should not have more of a place than hope and creativity and trust and faith, you know, like it should at least cohabit with the other good stuff, you know, because people, like when I first created Shape House, people would interview me all the time and be like, well, how did you, how did you overcome your fear? And I was like, oh, I, I don't know. I consider, I mean, fear guided me to make less mistakes, but it's not like, I remember this quote that someone said to me, it's a known quote, but Courage is not the absence of fear. It's the feeling of the fear and doing it anyway, you know, and just to, to see that I could see the thing creep on me, like, oh, what if the money, what if the people don't come? What if the this, what if the that? And be able to accompany that with, yes, I hear you. Maybe it won't, but so what? If it doesn't, then we do something else, you know? And I, I, I believe that I was raised, maybe that is one of the beautiful gifts I was given because my father was an entrepreneur and there was a lot of, if not this, then the next thing, you know, and we just try something else. And there was a lot of bouncing, you know, to the next thing that I think gave me confidence that I could and that I would be able to rebuild. When I started Shape House, I had eleven dollars, not eleven hundred, not really? eleven thousand. I had eleven dollars on my account when we were done with the paint and the this and the that. Right. From like making it in because yeah, yes. beautiful space. Yes. And I was yourself at, into know, it. Or at 6 a.m. and did the, you know, the work myself. And I had no money when I started it. And it grew to be like a $9 million company that was very successful. And yes, COVID was complicated and is complicated for a lot of, you know, businesses that are brick and mortar. And I'm no longer involved. I'm doing something else entirely. Yeah, that's what is, I was going to get to now. And that also, like, yeah, was it just like, were you ready for like, you, you did that, you were running Shape House for so long and did so much amazing work with it. it was just like, okay, I'm ready for the next thing now. You know, there, there was, we, we did um, partner with an investor and at some point there was, um, it looks like my life is going to be just more of the same thing. Now we have 12 stores. Now let's go open 15 and 12 more. And, and it became a little bit like, that's not really who I am. You know, like I've, I've one from one store to two stores. That was unbelievable. It was so exciting to like create something else that was the same thing, but not. And then to go do New York was amazing because we opened six in New York, you know, and there was an amazing, like, oh my God, like, how do you do it in a different city? And how do you be there without being there? And there was a lot of, I think I'm an innovator. I think that's in my blood, you know, to be doing the next thing. And um, and at some point it became like, I'm no longer similar to when I finished life by me, you know, there was just this like, what was fun is behind me with this. And I devote my life to coaching people to do what brings them joy, which by the way, Trish, I don't know if you know that, but you taught me that. Because when you first told me about your fibromyalgia thing, you said, I don't know if you're going to remember, and forgive me if I don't quote you properly, I've quoted you a long time, so I hope it's close to what you said. But you had said to me that the flare-up came when you were not in joy you would have literally like the, 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 the symptoms would really accelerate when you were doing something that didn't bring you joy. And I remember thinking you are effing lucky because most people don't have a physical warning that they're doing something that's not bringing them joy at all. Like people stay stuck in a lot of ruts when really you couldn't at the time, because you would basically be like, I'm physically unable to move when I'm, you know, not in joy. And I remember thinking how in some ways, not lucky because there was a pain associated with it, but 
it gave you this like, okay, what's next? Because this is not bringing me joy. Was that true? Am I accurate? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I have like, you know, the, the first memory of acknowledging that was when I was in high school and like working at the store at the mall. Like I had worked at one store at the mall and I liked it, but then my best friend who was like super cool girl had a job at a different store at the mall, Kirkland's. I don't know if anyone remember, like a home goods store. And so, and she was like, she loved working at Kirkland's and they were hiring. So I was like, oh my gosh, well, they're like, I'm, let me go work at Kirkland's. And every time I went to work there, I felt miserable. I felt miserable. And I knew like, I don't really like this job, but a part of me was like, but I should like it because Jill likes it. And I cool like friend. Jill and yeah. yeah, and she's like super cool. And like, so it was like wanting to force myself to stay because it felt like that's what I should do. And also like, you just got a job, like you can't like quit it. You know, even back then being like 15, 16, I was like, no work ethic. You're and, a good you know. girl. You're, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> But I just would go there and feel miserable in my body. And I just was like, I have to quit. And so, and I did. And then I ended up getting a job at a record store and I was such a music person. And it was like my dream. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, I'm working yeah. at the record store. You became the cool girl everybody wanted <laughs> yeah. to tell. Yeah, like I was like, that really was like living my high school dream working at the record yeah. store. But um, yeah, and so it is. That. And it's sort of like what I've noticed over the years is, you know, it's not sort of like made up, but it's sort of like, it might be that there's this, under the surface pain. But when I'm doing things that light me up, when I'm living in my joy, when I'm around people that light me up, I don't feel it as much. And it's easier for me to like do the things to make better care of myself or to make the choices to get out of bed, to do the things, to do the hard things too, because even making those choices and living your joy is actually takes daily, like, yeah. all right, Practice. I can do yeah. this. I want to do this. I'm allowed to do yeah. this. Let me, you know, fight through this. But yeah, so it's like, it is when I'm unhappy, when I'm with doing things that don't light me up, when I'm with people that I can tell, like, don't, then I feel the pain more. Yeah. But it is, I mean, when you think of it, I always compare with a car, you know, like a car starts blinking when it needs gas or it starts to like look red, you know, when it needs a new tire. And I always thought it'd be cool to have that, you know, ooh, my nose is blinking. I need a little more sleep or ooh, my, you know, my head is turning green, like something's going on, you know, that I need to go fix. And But we don't have that. So we have to develop our own internal guidance, you know, that says, I remember when I told a friend of mine that I don't drink coffee and she was like, you don't drink coffee, but what do you do when you're tired? And I said, oh, I rest. <laughs> it's just like, so yes, you have a job, you have to go to your job and you have to be awake, but it's like, don't go to bed at 3 a.m. and then just pump up with coffee. That's not, it would be like putting, I don't know, bananas instead of gas in your car. You know, that's not a good way to manage yourself. And that is a good segue to what I do now, because the, the the tool I'm teaching people to use has a lot to do with managing your projects and managing your time quote. That's like my, the big illusion that we manage time. We don't, we manage ourselves. And that was already my theme when I was like 12 years old, you know, like how do I, life by me was the same thing. Like when you deconstruct life by me, it was all about how do I guide myself and shape house was how do I prevent it preventatively, you know, how do I take care of myself so the machine doesn't break down? Like I prefer to keep the machine well, you know, than to fix it when it's broken. So it was always, it had this subtext, you know, always of 
I'm in charge of myself. Like maybe I'm not the boss of you, but I'm certainly the boss of me. And, and I can do a lot to align myself with my own purpose and my own journey so that it matches, you know, so there's not this feeling of walking in somebody else's shoes. I love the idea of compassion behind that quote, but I'm always like, I don't want to walk in your shoes. I'm in my shoes. You know, tell me what it feels like to walk in your shoes, but don't, I don't want to guess what it feels like for you because my work is to become the master of this, like this beast over here, right? So what like made you focus on, because yeah, you got really excited about like saying like the time piece, like what do you think? Because yeah, like there's plenty of people like, oh yeah, you want to, we want to support people, want to empower people, like whatever you want to be able to live their best lives. Like what do you like? Yeah. Like what made you feel like, yes, I need, I not need, I am, I want to, I like, you know, I need to empower people. I need to teach people like this. Like what was like, was there like an aha moment or something where you just kept seeing or, you know, like a friend of yours that you're like, ah, I just wish people would X. Yeah. That one thing. Well, you know, it started, there was a combination of things. One was COVID and I was spending more time at home and I'm not, I'm someone who likes, I likes what I, I like what I do. Like, it's not like, Ooh, I can get away. It's Friday. You know, let me stop all this. It's like, I really love what I do. So to me, it was doing nothing was not appealing at all. And so there was a sense of like, what do I want to do next? You know, like, what's my next adventure? And someone, and I've heard that question before, it wasn't brand new, but for some reason it hit me right between the eyes. But she said something like, what do you do for free? Like, one, what is one thing that no matter what, you would go and do it for someone. And I remember smiling because I love building furniture from a store from Sweden. And I remember thinking, I like doing that, but I'm not going to do that for my life. So I remember thinking that one of my passions in life is to accompany people that have a project. Like you want to write a book, you want to move to a different country, you want to leave this relationship or start this relationship or whatever. And I've always liked the journey between this thing that I am today and this next thing that I want for tomorrow. I think that is one of our privilege. Like animals don't do that. You know, animals don't say, oh, I wish the food at the house was, you know, organic. Like they, you give them food, they're happy. You know, I mean, they feel feelings, but they don't project themselves into a future that doesn't exist. We do. Like we can literally say there is no book of what I want to speak to. And, oh, there is a book. Like it's crazy that we have, and we don't see it that way. You know, like someone one day stood outside and said, what if we put together this like metal together. And now there is a plane, you know, that can transport you to the other side of the world. I mean, that's insane that it comes out of our head, you know? So I was, I was at the end of running Shape House and there were 300 employees, you know, and there were 12 stores and there was a lot of like project management. How do you open a new store? How do you keep the same energy in a store that's in the middle of Manhattan and one that's in the middle of, you know, Dumbo. So it was, there was a lot of, um, how do I carry my projects? How do I, and I love doing that. I, a friend of mine was writing a book. Another friend wanted to put out a new coaching class and I got involved for fun, you know, to just say, okay, well, what's next? And what do you need to do? And what's, you know, how do you build an audience and blah, blah, blah. And I was just really excited. And so out of that, I was using this tool called Trello, which you, I have a feeling you may have discovered as well, but it's, it's a project management tool. And you, you basically build like, how do I go from here to here in a beautiful aesthetic kind of way? And I became 
really enthralled with doing that with people. And so someone would come to me and say, you know, well, I have to put my parent in a, you know, the aging, they can't be alone. And okay, well, how do you create that? And this other friend of mine, sadly, was very sick. And, you know, she came to me with like, how do I organize all this treatment I need to do for cancer that she started having? And we we created something that made that, you know, at least the piece, that piece, you know, of course it didn't it did actually help the healing because she was less stressed. You know, there was a lot of relaxation, you know, from knowing what to do with all her. So I started looking at how do people do what they do? You know, like what makes them from like, why does someone say I want to write a book and don't do it? And why does someone say I want to write a book? And, you know, minutes later, I mean, you know, 10 years later, there is a book, you know, it's a lot of work, but what is the difference? And I started studying that and I came up with this methodology. So it's called Be Current. Um, and it now has all sorts of services to accompany people. So there's one-on-ones and there's groups and there's do-it-yourself, you know, to learn a methodology that is very um, anchored in your purpose. Like it's very like the, the beginning of the work is really to identify what do I want? Like, you know, some people are lucky. They know they want to write a book, but most people are not super clear. Or maybe they stop dreaming that they can have that life. You know, that's the thing I run into a lot is helping people reconnect the dots before someone said, you know, you're lazy or you're incapable or you're, you know, you don't deserve whatever, which sadly happens very young, you know, for a lot of us. And so to reconnect to this part of us that why not? Why not? Can I write a book or why not? Can I, you know, do these things I want to do? And so it's a beautiful, I accompany people that are, I, I, I stop working when I see that someone doesn't have integrity. That's one of my commitment. I was working for a client who was basically robbing artists and copying their stuff. And I won't tell you who they are cause I don't gossip, but there was definitely a, like, you do what? Like they were stealing art and copying it and making tons of money. And I was basically, when I discovered that's what it was, I just walked away. I said, I know it's, it was a big gig. It was like, a, I don't know, 30 grand or something. And I just was like, no, I'm not, I don't want to make people like that more productive. You know, like I don't want to be serving a community that's already doing something that I don't think we should do more of. Right. And so, so it's fun. It's fun. It's like I work with people one-on-one uh, a lot and it's it goes from something they've always wanted to do to doing it. And it's be part of that journey and that transformation is magical. Magical. Love that. Yeah. No, I I mean, I love working with people in different ways and that too. And it feels so great. And I love that you've, I can totally see that you would be so good at like creating more of like a system or like, yeah, a methodology yeah. and like really like implementing that yeah. and having accountability. I find accountability is such a thing people are looking for too. Yeah. And, and a lot of people look at it that when I was writing the book, there was a lot of conversation, like what is it and what is it not? And so many people saw accountability as like some sort of outer force that was like an authority figure that made them do something, you know, like there was, and I, I was like, I don't want that. Like that, you know, who wants that? Like, we're not children already with children. I fought not to be doing too much of that and leaving children to their own choices. But there was definitely this, this moment where I found a way to speak of accountability that was like, no, you don't understand. It's like, it's your life. Like, if you don't take accountability, you talk again about, you know, life by me, like another version was like, 
if you don't take, don't take the blame. Like this is not about you did something wrong and you're, you should be punished for that. You know, a lot of people saw accountability as, as that. And to me, it was more, you, you need to take some, some responsibility because if you don't, you're just the victim of it and there's nothing you can do about it. When if you say, you know what? Yes, I did that. And maybe it didn't work so great. Or maybe there was a better way to do it, but to go at it with self-love, you know, and self respect that if you had known better, you would have done better. You know, a lot of people think, you know, they look back at their lives and it was a mistake or, and it was like, no, you, you, with the information you had then it made sense. Right. And you did it, you know, thinking you were really doing the right thing. And then now maybe you look back and it's like, man, maybe not, but to be able to say, yeah, this is, this is my life and I can change direction and I can make different choices and I can leave this relationship that's abusive you know, all that stuff, people don't realize that it is their own, it's their life and it's their choice. And if we don't make different choices, we're not going to create a different life. It's, it's pretty, it's, you know, it's math. It's, it's basic science. You know, it's like, if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, you'll get that result. Nothing different. 1000% agree. And that's a great way to segue to the questions I ask everybody. Oh, um, yes. What is a go-to to raise your joy levels? Like something that you do when you're like feeling a bit off or friends, probably. I mean, now I play pickleball, which definitely moves my body. So maybe move my body and friends. Like reach out to people I know, see me in my joy and see me as someone who is full of it. Um, and remind me, you know, I actually have one of my dearest friends. We sometimes text each other with like, tell me something you love about me. And obviously, and both of us will be like, blah, 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 blah. like, there's 50 million things I love about you. And so, you know, soon into the description, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, she's right. I am that kind of friend and I am generous and I am this and that and the other. And I feel great about myself. So that's a good love trick. that idea. Take that with you, everyone out there listening. <laughs> and if you're like, I can just do that, then have a conversation with your friend. We're going to start this new thing I heard where yes. we're going to text each other this. Yes. And you can ask me and you can also give it to me. Like you can send yeah. it to me and say, I just was thinking about you and wow, this thing you did just really inspired me. That's beautiful. And I can also turn around and be kind of like, tell me because right now I feel a little bit in the dust and I just want to you know, a reminder. It's beautiful both ways. Yeah. But I was saying, I'm sure people are listening like, well, I just can't do that. But I'm like, well, then next, like, tell your friend, like, hey, let's start yeah, doing this right. thing that I heard that's someone else right. suggested. So when you're yeah. feeling it, then it send a message. And when I'm feeling it, I'm going to send a message instead of just randomly sending a message to someone, tell me something you love about me. I think that's perfectly acceptable, but I can see where some people will be like, I can't do that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Ask everybody to apply this phrase to their life. What is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. So what is easiest for me is blank. What is best for me is blank. It's like a habit way of being. It doesn't have to be harder. A lot of people hear it as what is harder. Like, it's just like, sometimes we fall into default mode of it's easiest for me to do this. Oh, but it's best for me. I would say it's easiest for me to push through and not listen to my feelings sometimes. And it would be best for me to pause and I've developed a good relationship with this little girl in there. So just pause and be with her and be gentle. Like I would be with someone else's seven-year-old and say, what, what do you need? Like what's important right now? And it's often not work more. <laughs> it's often more go play or go feed me or go give me water, you know? I know. Isn't it always like, it's so funny. We can like 
keep ourselves from like, no, like I just got this one more, I just got to do those things and then I'll do it. But it's like when you take that time, whether it's just even like dance, play off, like dance song or like calling a friend or like even taking an hour, a couple off, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, Okay, I, so I have it. I like had this amazing like yesterday. Like I can't yeah. leave to run this errand, but then the driving in the car for an hour, I always have these like the aha best moments idea. where yes. I was yesterday. Like this is what you do next time you feel stuck and you're not doing anything. You're gonna go drive somewhere because every yes. time I have this like <laughs> I know because you remove yourself from the knot. You you know it's like Einstein's thing of like you cannot solve the problem by from sitting the level in your computer that. staring trying no, to figure this. You really can't. No, you really can't. <laughs> Okay, the last question is the name of the podcast is Claim It because I feel so often we are like putting our once, you know, if then, like once I do this, then I'll feel enough. Once I have this, then I'll feel successful or be successful. Like we're just concentrated on the be and not necessarily like what would that even feel like? What would that feel like to be enough to be successful right now? And that if we put our attention on what would that feel like, we could actually claim that feeling in the moment. So what are you claiming for yourself right now? I am no longer a fat loser. Yes. <laughs> I'm done with that identity. I'm, I'm free. I'm athletic. I'm, I'm committed. I'm disciplined. I'm incredible. I'm incredible. <laughs> I'm a badass woman. That's what I claim. <laughs> yes, you so are. And I love you so much. Thanks for having this conversation with me and for Thank everything you. that you have put out in the world and that you will continue to. Thank you. It was a fun idea for me to kind of catch up with you with this new life. And it feels wonderful to own the changes I've made. Thank you for that. Oh, I love having conversations with people and I love Sophie. I hope you enjoyed that conversation and that some part of it spoke or touched you. You can find Sophie and what she's currently up with, up to at becurrenttoday.com. I think they're um, and on social media as well. I will have links in the show notes. Of course, for everything me, I'm at underscore Trisha Huffman, yourdoralgist.com, trishahuffman.com. I love hearing from you. I love seeing you share the episodes. Again, leave a review. And if you do screenshot it and send it to me at podcast at yourdoralgist.com. I hope you've pre-ordered my book, F the Shoulds Do the Once. You can order it from wherever you like, but if you go to ftheshouldsdothewants.com, you can find links there to order it, but also come back to whether you've already ordered or you are going to do it right now and claim some bonuses. An exclusive five-part video series you get immediate access to, and there will be a special exclusive EFT tapping meditation. And I think most exciting is the week after the book is released, May 17th, you will have a free ticket to the launch party, the, the workshop and party to celebrate the book being out. My friends Robin Euclid and Jason Mraz are joining me, and I will be leading a sort of unshould yourself workshop. And we'll also have some great conversations and entertainment and a guided grounding meditation. So go to ftheshouldsdothewants.com. Thank you. And, you know, I usually leave it with like something to think about, but I want to leave right now. If you haven't yet, text a friend or tell a friend or a loved one this idea of, hey, we're going to start this thing, you know, 
that when we're not feeling our best, when we're stuck, when we're worried about, you know, like not being enough, whatever, that we can text each other and say, hey, tell me something you love about me. I think that's so awesome. All right, go do it. And also claim your joy, claim your worth, claim your life.